0: Section 1 of the History Teacher's Magazine. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Sarah Jennings. The History Teacher's Magazine, Volume 1, Number 1, September 1909. Section 1 Introduction The Magazine. Editorial comment upon the plans for the conduct of the magazine is unnecessary. A general statement of the character of the paper will be found on the first page of the cover, and a list of the editors is given on the second page. Professor McLaughlin's letter shows the existing need and the field which the paper should occupy, but the best introduction to their fellow teachers of history and civics which the editors can have is to be found in the nature of the articles printed in this number. It has been the aim to make these articles stimulating, leading to higher professional standards. To make them practical leading to valuable suggestions for the conduct of history classes and to have them conduce to the formation of a stronger union a better esprit de corps among history teachers the history teacher leaving normal school college or graduate school the young teacher of history if he or she is fortunate enough to get a chance to teach his own subject at once enters a high school or small college, where in many cases he is permitted to work out his own pedagogical salvation. From alma mater he has brought a knowledge of certain methods of history teaching practiced upon him by his own instructors, together with detailed information respecting several narrow fields of human history. Rarely has he received in college or graduate school any intimation of the best methods to be pursued in secondary school history teaching. Rarely does he in his new position receive much inspiration or advice concerning his actual class work from his administrative superiors. Left to his own resources, often losing contact with his former instructors and intellectual leaders, he may lose energy, ambition, outlook, and become at last a dreaded teacher of a dreadful subject. On the other hand, the young teacher, if he succeeds, keeps in contact with the best thought in his profession and grows as the profession grows. He will seek the acquaintance of other and more experienced history teachers, as a business man must be acquainted in his own line of business. He will keep in touch with new historical works, the latest reviews and magazines, and if he can do it without sacrificing his duty to his class, he will engage in some original historical work. But best of all, he will remain a good teacher opening the doors upon vistas which will delight and lure the student into many an untravelled intellectual path. THE OPENING DAYS OF A HISTORY COURSE There is no more important time in the whole year's work than the first few class exercises. In these days administrative details are to be attended to. New students are coming in late, the weather is hot, and the students are unaccustomed to study. All these and many other distractions tend to prevent the smooth running of the class work. There is a temptation to laxness both on the part of student and of instructor, and many a good instructor's work is made more difficult in the next few weeks, because he and his class did not begin aright. Instead of slighting the work of these opening days, the teacher should treat it more carefully, and plan it more definitely, than any other part of the course." In the first place the teacher must be sure to make a good impression upon his class in the opening days, a good impression not in the purely personal sense, but in the pedagogical sense of winning respect for his position, maintaining the dignity of his subject, and awakening the interest of his students. Such a good impression is to be gained not by amusing the students, nor by witty cynicisms, nor by severe discipline alone. There must be a combination of tact and strength, of sympathy and precision above all there should be nothing in the dress attitude or language of the teacher which will lead the students to ridicule him secondly the opportunity should be taken in the opening days to impress clearly upon the class the character of the work to be required of them there should be a frank understanding between the teacher and scholar upon the methods of acquiring knowledge the methods of keeping notes the forms of recitations tests and examinations and the occasional use of reports, maps, debates, or lectures. The teacher should know exactly what he or she intends doing, and he should, so far as is necessary for the proper conduct of the class, explain his plans to the class. Better be too definite upon this point than not give enough. Of course it is not best to take out altogether the element of surprise from the work, but this element can best be given by the nature of the subject matter, as it unfolds before the class rather than by sudden changes in the method of conducting the class. Another important topic to be considered at the beginning of the course is the reason for the study of the chosen field of history. Of what value is this particular story? What influence has this country had upon the world's history? How has this influence persisted down into the student's own life? The pupil's interest should be aroused by showing the relation of the period to be studied To the civilization of his own nation. If the study is Grecian history, for instance, the teacher can show the influence of Greek literature and religion upon our own literature, the influence of Greek philosophy and science upon the Middle Ages and ultimately upon ourselves, and the influence of Greek art, particularly in architecture, throughout this country, which, through its passion for Greek democracy, has copied extensively not only Greek names of persons and places, but also all of its styles of architecture and decoration. Next the teacher should take up the geography of the country to be studied, pointing out its situation upon the general map of the world, its coastlines, its rivers and mountains, its natural products, its lines of trade and communication. In nearly all the countries he must study there will be seen a geographical unity which can be easily comprehended by the student. Mesopotamia, the Nile Valley, Greece, the Mediterranean world, and England all possess a geographical simplicity which appeals to the weakest student. In the case of European history and American history, the case is somewhat complicated by the variety of geographical conditions, but this very variety should be shown to be one of the reasons for the subsequent splitting of Europe into separate States, and for the variation of political and social ideals throughout the United States. Lastly, before approaching his proper subject, The history teacher should relate his chosen field of history to that of previous nations. This work is usually done for the teacher by the textbook makers. In English history we have chapters upon prehistoric man, the Britons, and the Romans, before the Anglo-Saxons are reached. In ancient history the relation of the Greeks to earlier civilizations is discussed. In European history the Roman Empire or Charlemagne's empire will be presented, while in American history we have the great problem of the European background. If the teacher has successfully thought out these several introductory topics, and presented them well to the class, then the pupils will be ready to enter upon their study with force and interest. They should have acquired respect for the instructor, have become certain of what is expected of them, have gained interest because the study touches their own life, and have obtained the antecedent geographical and historical knowledge necessary to a good understanding of the subject. End of section 1.